the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. With me in studio, James Blinn, producer of this program. With me on the other side of the glass in the studio, Clark Hilton Engineering. As he should be in his hermetically sealed booth. Yeah, he actually has it a little better than you do. Well, that's true. But, there is a separation. But, you know, I'm okay with it. and I'm not the germaphobe, so it's all right. He's a healthy man, so let's leave it at that. Well, yes, yes. Uh, good afternoon to both of you gentlemen. Thanks for joining me for at least a portion of today's program, James. I know you are making your trek home um, in just a bit, but welcome to both of you. Absolutely. I'm on my way home, too. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah, but you have to stick around, so <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> I'm um, hermetically sealed in here. <laughs> I bet you wish you were hermetically sealed. You know, the truth is, we have so many people coming in and out of these studios, it's amazing that we're not sick 50% of the time. Yeah. Although I will say, when something goes around the office, it goes around the office here. Yeah, that's true, but... But you're right. It's it's not it's it goes in waves. It's not like a constant. And we've added new personnel. We've added new studio space. And there just seems to be so much more going on here. Well, we added new studios. uh, I wouldn't say we've added new space. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. That is true. But space to do broadcasting is what I meant. But you're right. We've we've kind of we're bursting at the seams. But everything seems to be working at present. You know what occurred to me? I was um, sitting at my desk just today. And I was I, a commercial came on. I had a cable news station on. A commercial came on for the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes, and it occurred to me that I had filled out all that paperwork weeks ago. They had given a February date for the announcement. In fact, we'd coordinated that I was going to take that day off because all That's of the correspondence right. I had received seemed to indicate that I had already won. Uh, And nothing happened on that date or since. And now they're back on television talking about some date in April. I'm I'm a bit confused. Have I already won that one? And the amount has gone up. I think the... the, Is it still only once a year? I thought so. But it said, um, you know, when I filled out all my paperwork, it said $5,000 a week for life. And then once my life draws to a close, apparently I can uh, pass that on to someone else. Uh, now they're saying $7,000 a week for life. So mm. I'm, I'm thoroughly confused, and I feel like I've been defrauded because, you know, I shared with you some of the material that I'd received, and it seemed perfectly clear to me that I'd already won and that that announcement was to be made in February. Well, and, and if you did already win and you just haven't been notified, I feel like maybe you got the short end of the straw because clearly there's a bigger prize out there now, and you didn't win that one. Well, they haven't announced that one yet. That's in April. But you, have you gotten any correspondence concerning it, though? Have you been told that you're a loser? <laughs> I think I'm about to be told. No, I have not been told, but sadly, I, I'm starting to feel like one. Hmm. Do you think, now this, this, this isn't likely, but do you think perhaps I wasn't the only one they promised was going to win this, uh, this sweepstakes? Maybe it's like one of those class action lawsuits where, you know, it's like, you know, such and such manufacturer has to fork out. Two million dollars, and you're you're getting a piece of that. And when you breaks down to how much is yours, it's 
after lawyer fees, sixty three cents. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's something like that. So maybe there's for that you know that ten million dollars. There's ten million winners. Wow. Actually, I'm just not even sure anymore whether you're serious or not. Well, I did, <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed to admit again that I did go through all the steps, and I think there are I people thought that in it a started corporate... <laughs> as a joke, but now I'm thinking that maybe you really did think you were going to win. I think there are corporate. Uh, people in suits and fine tailored finery sitting in an office thinking about all the lemmings who are searching through pages and pages of material where you have to find that little sticker that has to be placed there. They were like, and it came twice. I had to go through this whole thing twice. The first mailing, you had to put this sticker here and you had to put the sweet, this number there and then you had to, and you don't have to buy anything. You just have to go you through that whole to. process. You don't have to. Uh, so I did that the first time. Then they sent me something else, assuring me that the date was coming up, and still nothing has happened. I I feel quite foolish. Yeah, I I, I think I, I I understand your de- dejectedness. <laughs> I I feel your time could have been spent better getting a massage. Yeah, although I'm not really into massages. Your time could have been spent better going and getting gas. There you go. I could no. have been getting gas. Yeah. Man. Maybe doing some grocery shopping. Did anyone see anything? Cleaning the house. <laughs> anything about a winner being announced in in the last month? No, I have to admit, my, my finger is not on the pulse of uh, the, the... Publisher ex- Clearing Yeah, Publisher's <laughs> Clearing House. I haven't been for a couple of years. Yeah, I got to admit, I'm the same as James. I completely forgot about this. Yeah, well, it just occurred to me today. I think it's a cautionary tale for all of our listeners. We, we what, broadcast in the public interest. Which part is the cautionary interest. part? Not no, to get no. involved in such frivolity or... Uh, yeah, I think that might be it. Is that a word? Did uh, I use Frivolity. That? Frivolity, you, that's you what... <laughs> emphasize a little differently, but <laughs> the wrong, <laughs> that's the right word. Yeah, the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. The thing is, <laughs> I think next year when that thing comes in the mail, that Throw fat envelope, I'm going to lift it up, I'm going to hold it in my hands, and I'm going to think, ah, why not? Throw it away. <laughs> The feeling of this moment will have faded. I, I do think they, they depend on the Publishers Clearinghouse people. I do believe, and, and similar, do expect and hope and uh, bank on us taking the 11 months in between or whatever to, <laughs> to forget. forget. Yeah. So would the two of you do me a favor? When that season comes around, would you just say to me, don't do it? You're not going to win, although... Maybe I will next I, year. I guess here's my question, and Clark, you can back me up on this. Okay. How many times have I suggested to you over the years, now I'm in my 15th year as your producer, and I've known you years longer than that. How many times over the year have I said, maybe you shouldn't do that, and it didn't do I it. I have no recollection of your ever having told me that. That's my point exactly. <laughs> what do you think, Clark? What do I think about what exactly? What James said? Yeah, probably. I, I was suggesting there, but... that you say to me next year. Yeah, what do I think about that? Yeah, I mean, I are think you prepared I shouldn't to have do to it? tell you this. Yes, but we all know that when that envelope comes, <laughs> you've done this before. Yeah, I did not know this. I thought this was a one-time deal. You mean where have I been? You do this every <laughs> see, year. See, well, not every year. To, to call to call back to last year's Oscars, Georgine is the La La Land of prize winners. <laughs> oh. Well, it's the only one she that opens I do. the envelope and thinks it's her, but it was clearly somebody else. <laughs> the thing is, you there's no risk at all. You're not investing anything. You simply spend a minute or two putting flap A and flap B, folding that over, sending this in. 
So it, it's not as if You've I'm... You've done this multiple times, though, right? I may have done it a time or two. No, but I mean, this round? Didn't well, you tell me why well, I had twice. another... And yes. then I, you had more stickers you had to put well, on? Well, the thing was, the first one that I sent in, they said, now this one is the one that has... This supports the other one, so this one will... This then isn't that a one. couple minutes. You're spending a lot of time on this. No, I... Although it does... It's hard to find some of those big... They're kind of stamps that have to go in certain places to demonstrate that you've. I don't even get these in the mail. How how are you getting? I don't know. Can you imagine though? I need to see someone being the person whose job it is to check the stamps to make sure they're correct. (laughs) Yeah, you really believe someone's checking those stamps? I think they just get thrown in the garbage when they (laughs) probably. Yeah, you think? (laughs) You think they're just thrown away? Okay, well, this is the year that I am going to take the mature adult approach. To the publisher's clearinghouse. And forget we said anything next year. The truth is, I did not win. Mm -hmm. I am not going to receive $5,000 a week for the remainder of my life. I am going to have to continue to work, rely on the salary that I've earned in order to live. I'm a little disappointed by that because you told me that you'd give me a little something. It was going to be very little, so don't be too disappointed. The only thing I would tell you is, is your problems are bigger than the publisher's clearinghouse if Ed McMahon shows up at your door now. Well, there's some truth to that. Yeah. Do you think he might be on his way? Uh, is the zombie apocalypse? I don't know. Huh. That's kind of what it would take, isn't it? That kind of shakes my resolve. Uh-huh. 16 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show, 21 minutes after 4 o'clock. We can tell that spring is coming because our first stink bug of the season is now affixed to the glass. Well, how about that? Directly opposite me. And so oh, that, yeah, uh, I see it. All right. Some people look for daffodils. I look for the stink bugs that somehow make their way three flights up. And uh, they watch the show from outside. <laughs> kind of a tradition. And some of the more adventurous ones will find their way into our window, into our offices from time to time. Really? I've never seen one indoors. I have seen one or two. You haven't seen them in your office, Georgie? No. No, I no? have not. Really? Ladybugs are more common in our office than, than the stink bugs, but it does happen from time to time. Particularly interesting because our windows do not open. Yeah. So they must we must carry them in on our clothing or something. Or they come in through the ventilation, I suppose. That's uh, the only other thing I could think of. Like I said, adventurous. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Never occurred to me they'd end up inside, so I should probably have a pleasant expression as I'm looking well, out. I mean, anytime you see a bug in this office, you have to ask, "How did it get here?" Yeah, yeah. I'd mentioned uh, it's been a couple of weeks ago that I had uh, I'd gone through great length, gone to great lengths to try to find a brown umbrella because, and some of our listeners will understand this. If you're wearing an outfit that is predominantly brown, you're carrying a brown purse, you've got brown shoes, you're going to want to have a brown umbrella. And I've, I Fair. had some difficulty finding one. I finally ended up having to order it online. I took it to an event the first day that after I had uh, received it, left it at the event, drove back to the hotel where the event was held to try to find it. This is just hours later. First thing in the morning, no sign of the umbrella. Well, I grieved the loss of this uh, brown umbrella that I'd waited weeks and weeks and weeks to find. So I went back online. I ordered the exact same umbrella and it it uh, it's malfunctioning. It won't open. Oh, and I'm very. Fr- How do you? It's difficult to return certain things online if they go through kind of a third party is sending it. Right. And I've had to I've had to be here several days with the wrong umbrella. Uh, it didn't match the shoes. Didn't match the purse. Uh, the coat. No accessory. It just it's been a shameful thing. And I've 
I've tried to sneak in the back just to avoid being seen by others. But how frustrating <laughs> that the second umbrella. <laughs> what? <laughs> Snuck through the back to avoid others? Being seen. Well, the way I discovered right. that this new brown umbrella, which is exactly like the one that worked that I left at the uh, event, um, I it was pouring down rain. And I was kind of excited because I remembered to bring that umbrella and it matched the outfit. So I get out of the car. I take the little strap that holds it all together. And for me, it has to hold it all together just like it did when it first arrived. All the, the creases have to be, you know, swaying in the right direction. None of that jumbled up. It's all swaying in the right direction. So when I unsnap uh, the, uh, the band around the top, it all falls gracefully free. And then I put my finger on that little knob, that little push button where the umbrella is supposed to spring into life. And it literally would not move. So not only did the umbrella not work, but I ended up having to walk from the car, which uh, there's so many people in this building now. It was a great distance from the car to the front door, soaking wet, carrying an umbrella that wouldn't open. Insult to injury. Clark, just for curiosity's sake, how many umbrellas do you own personally? None. Yeah. And? Oh, I just, I was curious. Trying to understand all this plight of the umbrella. I, I... I own one. It's decorative, but I own one. I owned one in college. I don't know why. Well, I'm sorry. What What would the point be? I was say I, I know where you worked in college. It was 20 feet from where you lived, pretty much. <laughs> why did you have one in college? Oh, walking between <laughs> classes. Uh, okay, fair enough. On a small campus. Um. <laughs> it was still a 10-minute walk from one end to the other. True. All right, I'll give you that. Well, yeah. one thing I've noticed is people are a little bit arrogant when it comes to umbrellas. If you happen to be walking someplace with an umbrella, in fact, I was walking into the office one day when I had the appropriate uh, appropriate colored umbrella coming in uh, to the office, and a woman I had never seen before, we'd never been introduced, I don't know anything about her, she knows nothing about me, made a snide remark about my having an umbrella, as if Oregonians shouldn't have umbrellas. There was something... That's the general rule. Something. Why is that a general rule? We should come into work soaking wet. It's just ridiculous. And she doesn't have to do my hair in the morning. But it just, it struck me as odd that this woman who was a perfect stranger had a kind of a snide look on her face as she made a remark as I'm walking in with an umbrella. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, you know, of course, I'm, I'm in the conversation. I'm the non-native because I, I grew up in New York. We're, we're allowed to use umbrellas. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, I've definitely noticed that over the years that the natives are not expected or not. It, it, there's an unspoken rule that, uh, you know, th- yeah. that Oregonians shall not own umbrellas. Well, it's ridiculous. It always rains here. It's not that big of a deal. Well, thank you. The one thing I've noticed, though, that I've never seen in any other part of the country is in lieu of the umbrella, and this is hard to demonstrate over the radio, but there is a certain maneuver that most people do as if it's going to somehow block the rain by raising their shoulders <laughs> and kind of pitching down their neck a little bit and looking down slightly as if somehow you're creating a natural umbrella with your face that yes. will shield you from the rain. I, think I I've see seen people this. walk like that all the time, especially the harder rain, walk through downtown Portland or drive through downtown Portland, point and laugh at them, feel free. But uh, seriously, they... they <laughs> People attempt to make their own umbrella. They hide, they kind of hide their chin in in, in their breastplate and see. The problem then is it just runs just down your neck and yeah. in your back. And that's, that's, that's even worse. That's kind of the thing for me, especially if you have short hair. I mean, if yeah, you know, if you if you have longer hair or unfortunately a mullet, um, you know, you're not going to have that problem. But uh, for me, it would go right down my neck and that'd be cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a city. 
in a state where everybody's supposed to be free to do whatever they want to do, where you can't avoid the naked bike ride because they won't tell you so that you can't avoid it. Why on earth would people be freaked out when someone chooses to carry an umbrella when it's raining? They tell you when the naked bike ride is going to be. They just don't tell you they where it's going to be. They won't tell you the route what, uh, no. when it's uh, where the... Probably for their safety. I will say I prefer a hood over an umbrella. Yeah, yeah I'll use a hood. A hood is fine, but if you have big, full hair, yeah. uh, no, a hood I get is it. not the best option. No. Just grab a newspaper. <laughs> Thank you. Does anybody still make say, a newspaper? I was, <laughs> say, I was say, where are you going to find this newspaper, Clark? This isn't 1972. <laughs> Very true. Well, anyway, I don't know what to do with this umbrella. I don't know if I should try to send it. I mean, it's been too long now, really, I, when I, I should I saw send it you back. taking I, it apart with your toolkit on your desk I the disassembled other day. I'm not it. sure that it's returnable now. Well, I could it reassemble it. It does seem like a voiding of a warranty of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I see what the problem is, This the little thing that pushes in. It has to be in just the right position, and when it's assembled, it's not in that position, so you can't... So it's a manufacturing the, error. It's, it's manufacturing not that something error. was broken. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... Can anyway. you contact the manufacturer? Uh, no, it's just... it's. I tried to send it back. Was it fulfilled through Amazon but sold through a third party? Yes. Yeah, that should be okay. Yeah, that'll be okay. Amazon will take it I don't even know that I still have all the information. Anyway, I'm just so frustrated. You you said you ordered it on Amazon, though, right? Well, you'll have receipts in your account information. Really? Yeah. Yep. Should I do that? I would. It's at least worth a try. The worst I can say is no. Yeah, I think I will. I don't like returning things, but you don't even have to see anyone. That's the thing. When you return something and you have to see someone, it's much no, harder. You, you really don't like I returning things. I learned this from you a couple weeks ago when you got a new cell phone case. Yes. Do you know the story, Clark? I do not. She got a new cell phone case. It was made for her model phone. It did not quite fit. I even tried to get the thing on. Hmm. Now, she is completely within her rights to return that product <laughs> because it does not fit as advertised. Mm-hmm. She put it out on the table to be given away to whoever wanted to grab it. That's what that was. That's what that was. I saw that. And who buys a cell phone case and leaves it on a... That was you. Don't we have a commercial coming? We sure do. Do you want to take a break? (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe we'd better. I suddenly feel like sticking around another segment. (laughs) Uh, Listening to the Georgine Rice Show, uh, we're going to take a break. We're life coaches, James and I. (laughs) Oh, dear. I'm in more trouble than I thought. You are. We'll be back. That's why you got us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind, our producer, is uh, here with me in studio. Clark Hilton is in the engineer's booth. Eating lunch. Yeah, this is your time for uh, for lunch. Uh, Clark, you acquired a new accessory this week, a ukulele. <laughs> Yes, I did. So have you always wanted to play? I know you're very much into Hawaii and Hawaiian culture. Have you always wanted a ukulele? You know, I played. We uh, got taught a few things on a ukulele back in uh, grade school in our music class. So mid-70s, I think it was. And that was kind of fun. We all, you know, we're all fifth, sixth graders. Ooh, guitars, yeah. Well, no, they're (laughs) a little smaller, but it was fun. It was fun. Um, But yeah, I have thought... Several times, uh, I wonder if I should take that up. You know, it's only got four strings, not six. A little bit easier than the guitar. And so, naturally, as one, many of my uh, strange stories in life start out, it has to do with our engineer, Garrett, whose father um, is an organizer for a ukulele festival up in Bremerton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a ukulele and, festival. Yes. 
and apparently has about 70 of these in his house. That's and, a collector. <clears throat> that's a collector, yeah. And these aren't toys. These are actual yeah. ukuleles. So um, he had mentioned Garrett went up there for his birthday this past weekend, and he said, oh, yeah, um, saw my dad. You know, everybody was playing ukuleles and penny whistles, which, you know, if, if you know Garrett, that just sounds like it's exactly what you'd expect to happen at a <laughs> Barker family gathering. 100%. Yep. Yep. And uh, he said, yeah, my dad gave uh, Shana, that's his, that's his girlfriend, uh, a, a ukulele. And I said, oh, does he have some extras? Oh, yeah, he's got 70 of them. Really? He said, yeah, I've got a few of them that I brought home to get out of his house. He said, let me know if you want one. I said, you know what? I think I might like one. I might think about doing that someday. Thinking that he would get it from his dad the mm-hmm. next time he saw him. The next day I come in and he's got a concert ukulele which has to do with the size. It's kind of the middle size. Mm-hmm. In a case and says, here you go, 50 bucks. Said, all right. You know, it retails for about 100 or so. I'm like, all right, sure. And so I decided I'm going to learn how to play this thing. And There's lots of tutorials online and everything, uh-huh. but I decided if I'm going to be serious about this and why not, it's not a toy. I think I'm going to pay and uh, take lessons. I found some places that do that. Really? Yeah, apparently unknown to me. Uh, ukuleles have become a big deal. Yes, they I have. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well. Yeah, a lot of younger people are playing the ukulele. Yeah. I, I learned of that a couple of years ago and was a little surprised as well. All I remember is uh, Tiny Tim playing tiptoe through the, through tulips. the tulips with a yeah. ukulele. <laughs> uh, but they're a serious instrument and can yeah. add a lot to, uh, to what music. What was stunning to me is you can just do your simple strumming. Uh, whereas I've seen some people who are able to do put on tutorials for how to play Stairway to Heaven on the thing or, you know, Simon and Garfunkel's um, Sounds of Silence mm-hmm. with the guitar picking. You could actually do that on a ukulele and everything in between. So it can be in as, as advanced as I probably want to be. So can you uh, can you render something for us? Well, if I'd known that you wanted to talk about it today, I would have brought it in. I uh, played happy birthday for my wife last night. How did that go? <laughs> it was all right. It was discernibly ha- happy birthday. Yeah, it sounded like it. Good. <laughs> sort of. There, were, there was, so you haven't heard it. What do you know? <laughs> well, you told me it was something of a dirge. No, really? there, there was a chord change that was very difficult. And uh-huh. My daughter got way ahead on the vocals with that. Now, have you played any other instruments? I played piano and I play harmonica. Uh-huh. How about you, James? Uh, I played the trombone when I was younger. but I'm, Did you really? Yeah. I haven't. Yeah, you look like probably, a trombone player. Probably haven't touched it in twenty five years. I keep talking about wanting to get one though. Yeah, uh, play that the seems flute like a and really, piano. Really difficult instrument. I t- it was, but I enjoyed it. I don't know why. Yeah. The thing I don't understand is how you know when to stop. I mean, you're sliding, and how you know when to stop. It's a it's like a fretless thing. bass. You don't really know where is. to put your fingers. It, it is because it's not like I mean, some fretless basses still have the lines on them yeah. where the where the the chords are, but. Uh, Trombones don't, obviously. So, yeah, it's completely a visual thing. And, auto, you know. Yeah, you have to have a good ear. The thing that I remember um, when learning to play the flute at Woodstock Elementary in the uh, in the band were the uh, clarinets. They seem to be the most troublesome of the instruments in the hands of kids who are just learning how to play them. All. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the sounds that, that came out of them. But it was fun playing an instrument as a kid. And I actually played it right up through high school. Uh, and I took jazz flute for a while. That was a lot of fun. Wow. I gave up at, at least elementary school-wise after the one year we were required to play the recorder. 
Yeah, I was. Never I remember having to play recorder too. I remember being very disappointed it wasn't a tape recorder because <laughs> I really wanted one, and I thought I was getting one from school, and it turned oh, out to not be what I was expecting at all. Thing. Very disappointing. I remember going to my nephew. He was just a little boy at the time, and he was taking up the trumpet. My um, uh, my elder brother had played the trumpet, so we were all excited that he's taking up the same instrument that another family member had played. And I went to his elementary school for the concert, and I was very excited. They all had white shirts on and black pants or skirts, and the conductor was very very serious. The conductor would speak to the uh, audience and the students would sit up uh, in their chair with their instruments poised uh, to put to their lips or their shoulder, whatever instrument they were playing. And he tapped the uh, uh, the music stand and the, the kids, I mean, they were just like military precision. The instruments went up and he had announced earlier what the songs were going to be. And they began to play. And <laughs> yes, I know exactly. <laughs> And I watched all over the auditorium, proud parents, grandparents, siblings, and everybody's shoulders are you know, just slightly shaking because with, with all the discipline that went into getting to the point where the instruments were played, and you couldn't really, you couldn't really tell what the song was, <laughs> <laughs> it there being, but they were serious about it, and I, I loved going to those concerts. One year at Christmas time, I asked him, would you bring your trumpet and play something for us, for the family, before we have our... Christmas meal together, and he did. He brought the music stand, and he brought the trumpet and the music. And oh, actually, I don't think he brought the music because then I would have known. But um, he said he was going to play a, a couple of Christmas songs, and so he played something, and it was a collection of sounds arranged <laughs> <laughs> rather creatively. And at the end, you know, we all applauded and everything. At the end, I said, "Now, will you play, you know, Oh Holy Night or whatever the song was?" And he announced that he already had. <laughs> 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 yeah, he didn't bring that back after that. Yeah, but, I bet not. <laughs> but kids and instruments, I I love it. I love hearing the progress uh, from one year to the next. Sometimes it's discernible yeah. progress. Other times, maybe not so much. But it was always a lot of fun to <laughs> sit in on those performances. I'd rush from the program here over to the school and find where his family was seated, and I'd take my place, and the concert would begin. My sister, who eventually went to school on a music scholarship, I remember those early band concerts mm-hmm. where, you know, that precision, discipline, and everybody is playing the same notes at the same time, so there's no harmony. It's just... <laughs> you know, but... What instrument is she playing? Well, that was just me. She played the flute. <laughs> right. Let's say that doesn't sound like a flute. No. One of my best recollections was they had this big deal. Now, I'm in elementary school. My sister played the violin. I played the flute. But they mm. were just doing this thing. We were going to sing the Japanese song Sakura. And we'd all worked on it. And these are schools from all over the uh, Portland metro area. So all the schools had, the choirs had learned the same music. All the violinists had learned the same music. And we got together at the Memorial Coliseum. We are kids performing at the Memorial Coliseum. This is a big deal. I'm, yeah. In fact, I think we wore white blouses and dark uh, pants and skirts. This was a big deal. We were going to sing in Japanese, and we were going to sing with violins. Uh, our, our classmates who were playing the violin. So all the violins were down on the floor. We were uh, it teared up, you know, like a uh, like a choir stand. So we were staggered upwards in the Memorial Coliseum. I remember the conductor was off in the distance because there were so many of us. The arms were raised and it was about to begin. And if you can imagine a thousand fourth grade and fifth grade violins. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then sixth and seventh graders trying to sing Sakura <laughs> all together. <laughs> it was one of the stupidest things I'd ever been a part of. But we were so proud in our white blouses and dark skirts. When I was a kid, that's what you always had to wear, a white blouse yeah. and a dark skirt. It didn't matter what you were doing, who you were, where you were. You always had to wear a white skirt. Nowadays, kids just wear whatever, but... That was a big. Uh, that was a big performance, and I knew mm-hmm. my sister was down there among the violinists, squawking away with the rest of them playing sakura. We sang in another language. It was impressive <laughs> to somebody <laughs> somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> oh well, instruments. Forty six minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ. We're back 49 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the fun Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind has left the building. Clark Hilton, he's still here. And during the break, I was showing you that uh, some of that tutorial stuff. for It's amazing you, what you can get out of a ukulele it really for is. strings. I, yeah, didn't, I never impressive. knew that. I thought it would just be simple strumming. Mm-hmm. There are even multiple types of strums. There's the island strum. There's the chucking strum, the backbeat strum. I feel like I've got a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. And again, if I, I feel like if I go and get formally trained so that I learn proper technique, it'll make things easier in the long run and less frustrating. And then I can learn how to do all these other things. Yeah. I think if I just try to learn off the internet, I'll pick up some stuff, pick up some bad habits, and then get frustrated and probably quit. Yeah, that's but, probably true. I've thought yeah. about going back and taking lessons on my flute. I really enjoy I was good at it when I was in high school, and that faded as I put the instrument down, but yeah. I, I enjoyed playing the flute. So maybe I'll have to take a lesson or two. My daughter got into this. I want to play with the ukulele. She can't even say it. <laughs> okay. Well, what that means is she wants to try to pull the strings off of the instrument itself. Like, mm-hmm. no, honey, strum it. No, she wants to pull them. And, and my wife said, hey, you know, if you're interested, you wait another year, about five. You know, we can uh, learn, take you and learn how to play piano. So maybe that'll happen for her. Yeah, yeah, because she comes from a musical family. So She does. Her name is a musical name. Aria. That's right. Yes. That's right. I had to think for a moment. And her middle name is Joy, so it's Aria, or Song of Joy. So. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I didn't, I that was by design. Hadn't put that together. I had a, an email from a listener um, with a stunning uh, ukulele, uh, very moving. The singer has since... Oh, I know it's the the... A Hawaiian guy, oh, the heavyset Hawaiian guy somewhere over is, the range. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that is a classic. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that contributed to bringing the ukulele I think it did. back to popularity. Probably he, not solely, but He died mm-hmm. in 97, I think it was. Yeah, it's been a while. But uh yeah, definitely uh well beloved in the islands and the uh the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow and then um What a Wonderful World which it goes into from there has been licensed dozens and dozens of times by TV, movies, mm-hmm. everything. So, yep. yeah, well-known, well-known. Well, t- uh, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. Now, my husband is Norwegian and Irish, and so uh, I try to make some sort of a St. Patrick's Day Irish dis of, uh, dish of some Do sort. You, is tomorrow the day that you also put out the patio furniture? <laughs> no. Oh, come on. That That's all I though. get? Is a- <laughs> <laughs> that, that was funny. I need a, a guttural laugh. 
I'll try to work something out. Okay. <laughs> well, St. Patrick's Day is celebrated in um, very uh, quite a few parts of the world, especially by Irish communities, of course, and organizations. And people wear green on their clothing on that day. In fact, I, I uh, purchased little shamrocks for Dan and I to wear on our clothing, especially when St. Patrick's Day falls on a work day. And we've gone through this uh, training now, so I think that's probably less a concern. But the, the tradition is that if you're not wearing green on St. Patrick's Day, you could be pinched. Um, parties featuring Irish food and beverages uh, that are dyed green with food color. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all kinds of stuff uh, makes up this celebration. Some people plan pilgrimages to um, St. Patrick's uh, Purgatory, which is a commonly associated with penance and spiritual healing since the 13th uh, century. And of course, um, St. Patrick was not himself Irish. He was British, but he brought the gospel to the uh, to the Irish islands. And according to the the uh, legend, there are other elements that are a bit of a, uh, just that a legend. Um, St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland. He is said to have died on March the 17th. So we're not celebrating his life as much as the day he passed away in or around the year 493. He grew up in Roman Britain, uh, was captured by Irish raiders, taken to Ireland as a slave. As a young adult, he um, ended up, uh, Escaping, but at some after some years, he returned to his family, entered the church like his father and grandfather before him. He later returned to Ireland, felt he was called to go there as a missionary, worked in the north and west of the country. Now, there are some popular legends that uh, surround St. Patrick's uh, work as well, that he rid Ireland of snakes. And there's some question if, as if uh, uh, whether or not they actually ever had snakes, but it's thought that there had been no snakes in the country since the last ice age, whenever that was. The snakes that St. Patrick banished from Ireland may refer to the Druids or pagan worshippers uh, of snake and serpent gods. So that may be where that originated from. He said to be buried under Down Cathedral in Down Patrick, Ireland. Ireland's other patron saint is St. Bridget and St. Columba. Um, we won't go into much more of this, but the most common St. Patrick's Day symbol, of course, is the shamrock. Um, it's the uh, the leaf of the clover plant. It's a symbol of the Holy Trinity. Many people choose to wear the color green, and the flag of the Republic of Ireland is often seen as St. Patrick's Day parade around the country. Parades, rather. Irish brands of uh, drinks are popular on St. Patrick's Day as well. I prefer Kool-Aid with a little <laughs> green food coloring. Uh, religious symbols include snake and snakes rather, and serpents, as well as the Celtic cross. Some say that St. Patrick added the sun, a powerful Irish symbol, onto the Christian cross to create what is now called the Celtic cross. Uh, other Irish-related symbols seen on St. Patrick's Day include the harp, which is used in Ireland for, uh, has been used there for centuries, as well as a mythological creature known as the leprechaun and a pot of gold that leprechauns keep hidden. But all of that um, celebrated on the 17th, which is, of course, tomorrow. Now, does your family do anything for St. Patrick's Day? No. I try to make uh, not Irish stew. It's the... Corned beef? uh, No. I've never had corned beef. I've never made it. Are you serious? Yeah, I never have. Oh. I do the Irish um, soda bread, and then I do... What's the... It's like a pie that has potatoes on the top. Shepherd's pie? Shepherd's pie. Yeah. Thank you. I make a shepherd's pie. And uh, try to speak with an Irish accent. Patio furniture. My, in celebration of my mother-in-law, uh, now deceased, and my husband. So, <laughs> patio furniture. <laughs> We're back to that, are we? Yep. My <laughs> one trick pony. It's actually pretty funny. My uh, wife's birthday was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so a couple days before St. Patrick's Day. And I guess when she was a kid, she always wanted her mom 
to make uh, corned beef for dinner on her birthday. Uh-huh. And so she made us, Lisa actually made us some corned beef. Well, my wife did. Lisa made us some corned beef. Um, was it last week, I think, for the first time? It was, she did a really nice job. I think she made it in the, it was either the instant pot or the crock pot. I now, don't what remember is what. corned beef? I think it's brisket. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I really know. I mean, is there something, is, is there corn in the beef? I don't think I've ever had it. I don't believe it. so. It, she served it with cabbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and some carrots. Yeah, corned beef and cabbage. Yeah. That but, sounds about Yeah, right. you know, I I don't know what's in corned beef other than it's brisket. There's beef and Guinness pie, Irish cream chocolate mousse cake. I'll take that. Irish potato champ, that's also known as poundies, cali and pandy. Irish stew, that sounds good. Irish potato soup, never had that, but sounds like it could be pretty good. But we're going to have um, our um, shepherd's pie. I love shepherd's pie. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best. What do you use as your... Uh... Real shepherds. No. Do you use lamb? Because I think that's what it... Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think I've had it uh, with sausage before or just ground beef, but I don't have any preference. It's just, it's good. Yeah. I, I try to make it authentic. Not that he's ever been to Ireland or knows much about it. <laughs> oh, right. But... <laughs> we do kind of celebrate just a, a smidge, a hint. Uh, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, two construction workers in Holland... They've discovered a real-life pot of gold. The workers from water company, I think it's Osen, O-A-S-E-N. Um, anyway, they made this stunning find when they were laying pipes in a new town, um, a couple of towns, in fact, in the province of Utrecht. Um, during the construction work, they dug up a medieval cooking pot that contained 12 gold and 462 silver coins. The coins have been dated to the 15th century. It's not clear at this point. Uh, who will keep those coins after the finding? Uh, it literally and figuratively rained coins, the company said, explaining in a press release that was translated. The coins, uh, which were uh, struck uh, together, stuck with one another, had turned green. They were tarnished. When the utility workers called in their boss, he reported the discovery to the archaeology hotline for landscape in that town uh, of Erfgood. Um, some of the uh, coins were found uh, with textiles, which had apparently been used as a sort of protective role. Uh, the coins were transferred to the, uh, I won't even try to pronounce uh, the Hollandish word, but um, for an analysis by an archaeologist there. But most of the coins date back to 1470s and 1480s. Some notable artifacts among the uh, hoard included a rare uh, Salut d'Or gold. Uh, it was a coin from King Henry the Sixth. Uh, and France that was uh, struck in Paris in the early 15th century. Coins from David of Burgundy, a 15th century bishop uh, there, and uh, Pope Paul II was also found, or rather were also found, uh, details of the discovery, which made the August uh, 2017, uh, made in August uh, 2017, was revealed in a press event uh, by the Dutch earlier this month. So kind of an interesting find. You can imagine a household or a, a business where they had... Um, buried these coins, thinking that at some point they would retrieve them and use them for whatever purpose they were intended, and maybe forgetting where they were, moving on, passing on, a natural disaster, who knows. But quite a few of them, they have an illustration here, and there's uh, there's quite a, a haul of all of these coins. Kind of makes you want to dig up your backyard and wonder <laughs> oh, who might, yeah. have, uh, might have buried something back there. So a pot of gold, but uh, it was in the Netherlands rather than in Ireland. Five o'clock, we've got news and traffic coming up after the, at the top of the hour. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
Welcome. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Clark Hilton is engineering. James Blinn, well, he's flown the coop, but he's still the producer. Well, a plane carrying tons of precious gold, silver bars, gold and silver, I'm pretty sure they're not mixed together. They littered a runway in Russia and the surrounding areas with its cargo on the 15th of this month. Um, after part of the plane ripped uh, ripped off during a takeoff, according to the Russian media and local officials, and um, uh, it was a twelve plane uh, what an twelve plane operated by the airline Nimbus took off. Uh, carrying 9.3 tons of gold and other precious metals, according to a statement from the State Investigative Committee. Um, uh, damage to a door handle caused it to fly open and spill some of the metal out onto the uh, the runway. Authorities recovered 172 gold bars weighing 3.4 tons. Uh, task quoted Interior Ministry officials saying no one was hurt in the incident. Uh, images cre- circulated on social media showed gold bars scattered across the runway. So I hope they uh, recovered all of it. But um, this whole idea of a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, not, there it don't is. necessarily need a rainbow. You had that town in um, in Holland. Now you have the uh, runway in Russia. Just keep your eyes open and your head down because if gold bars are raining down from overhead, you need to be very careful. Well, beware of the Ides of March. That was a phrase that many of us are familiar with uh, because of Shakespeare, although the phrase actually predates Shakespeare. Now, we would have talked about this yesterday, but of course, we had our radiothon yesterday. It's a warning that's um, it's been echoed on stages across the globe for centuries. Uh, beware the Ides of March. Well, William Shakespeare, he coined the phrase in his tragedy, Julius Caesar. And according to the play, a fortune teller whispered the words to Caesar, the dictator of the Roman Empire, before he was assassinated, stabbed uh, by a group of his own senators, led by um, brothers-in-law uh, Cassius and Brutus in 44 B.C. Not only did Shakespeare's words stick, they branded the phrase with a dark and gloomy connotation that will forever make people uncomfortable. That's according to History.com and a post online. The great poet could not have imagined the life it's taken on for 500 years since. Well, Shakespeare may have um, maybe the reason why the line is famous today, but the Ides of March, a date on the Roman calendar that coincides with March the 15th, has been significant long before Shakespeare's early 1600s play. To ancient Romans, Ides translated middle. So the phrase actually means middle of the month, which falls on the 15th day of the month in March, May, July, and October, and the 13th day of the other months. Um, In the olden days, the Roman calendar was divided into three parts, the uh, uh, Calends, the Nuns, and the Ides, uh, to identify special lunar events. The Calends signified the uh, start of the new moon cycle on the first day of the month, according to online calendar time and date. Nuns came next about a week after, uh, rather a week into the new month to mark the half moon. Lastly, Ides marked the full moon, so the middle of the month. Each day was referred to by how many days it fell before the Calends, Nuns, and Ides. For example, March 11th would be known as five Ides to the Romans because uh, it's four days before the Ides of March, which is the 15th time and date report. So the Ides of March isn't quite the uh, gloomy occasion that one uh, might imagine. Um, In the United States, the Ides of March used to indicate tax day. Mm. Mm. From 1918 to 1954, tax day fell on March 15th. Congress moved that date uh, up a month to April 15th in 1955 to give IRS employees a break. (laughs) Like, they need the break. We're the ones filing the taxes. According to Tax History Project, which is a website set up for um, more than 20 years 
or rather 20 years ago, uh, by tax analysts to provide information on the history of American finance. It's um, has remained the date uh, ever since. So we actually file our taxes on the Ides of April. Um, as previously mentioned, March 15th, that marks the death of Caesar. The brutal murder was enacted in Act One, Scene Two of the Shakespeare's iconic uh, tragedy. Caesar was uh, was uh, taken out uh, by as many as 60 men in a meeting. Um, uh, it was a hall next to Pompey's theater where the Roman citizen army reportedly gathered before marching to battles. Caesar was scheduled to leave Rome to fight in a war on the 18th of March and had appointed loyal members of his army to rule the empire in his absence. The Republican senators, not Republicans in the sense of the United States, but they already chafed at having to abide by Caesar's decrees, were particularly angry about the the prospect of taking orders from his underlings and hence Uh, the events that um, were made famous in Shakespeare's play. Just a bad day. It was a very bad day. Pi Day is kicking off its 30th anniversary. I think it's over, isn't it? Pi Day? Yeah, wasn't that uh, Wednesday? Yes. Uh, Pi Day was Wednesday. It marks the... uh, well, the day that pays tribute to the mathematical constant. The 30th anniversary of the uh, event is was celebrated uh, this year in uh, by tech giant Google with a special doodle, as they often do. Um, Pi Day takes place on the 14th of March, the day each year when scientists and mathematicians celebrate the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter. <laughs> Nothing says celebration like uh, the circles, um, the ratio of the circle's circumference to its diameter. Makes me want cake. Of course, everything makes me want cake. (laughs) One physicist, also known as the Prince of Pi, originally came up with a concept for the event, which kicked off at uh, San Francisco Exploratium in 1988. That was Larry Shaw, the physicist. He says he chose March the 14th because 3.14 are the first three digits in Pi. Uh, denoted by the Greek letter Pi. Uh, on the first Pi Day, and that's P-I being spelled out in English, the staff brought in fruit pies and a tea urn for the celebration. Um, they explain online, at 159, the Pi numbers that followed 3.14, uh, Shaw led a circular parade around the museum with his um, boombox blaring the digits of Pi to the music of Pomp and Circumstance, the parade ended at an accumulation point, later named the Pi Shrine. These are people who have too much time on their hands, it would seem. The special day became an annual tradition at the California Museum, and eventually the idea snowballed into uh, something much bigger. Uh, through modern mathematics, uh, they've calculated more than one trillion decimal pl- uh, places uh, beyond the standard 3.14 Pi uh, is an irrational number that uh, continues on to infinity. Uh, but uh, all of that said, the 30th anniversary of Pi Day has now come and gone, much like the Ides of March has now come and gone. But there you have it. Happy post-Pi Day. Uh, the Volkswagen, the Volkswagen Beetle is going to soon be squashed by Volkswagen. Oh, no. uh, they're exterminating the Beetle. Apparently, they're not selling like they used to, but you just kind of feel like you want to have them around. The automaker's uh, head of research and development, Frank Welsh, has confirmed that the brand's iconic compact car will not be replaced when the current model ends production. Oh. Uh, Welsh says that the Beetle was made with history in mind, but you can't do it five times and have the new, new, new Beetle. Instead, VW lineup, uh, they have a heritage slot that's going to be filled with an upcoming electric microbus, uh, which blends retro styling with a high tech 
uh, battery-powered drivetrain uh, that promises long, strange 300-mile trips between charges uh, when it goes on sale in 2021. He didn't say when the Beetle is kicking the bucket, but it's uh, been on sale since 2012, so it could be nearing the end of its life cycle. So... Uh, that's a tragedy. Yeah, the of. bug as we knew it years ago and at present, it uh, will no longer be with Although us. Although the one that we knew years ago, I've been in a couple of those, and they, yeah. they weren't pleasant. Well, they were intended to be people movers, and they were inexpensive and easy to maintain. And uncomfortable. And, yeah, they, <laughs> they did their job. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 19 minutes after 5 o'clock on this beautiful Friday afternoon. Well, the stresses of space travel can offer, uh, alter rather a person's genetic makeup, according to NASA, and the changes can linger even after you return to Earth. Call it the effects of the space genes or DNA that doesn't return to normal after a sojourn in space, or at least not after a period of time. The January finding was included in a NASA announcement corroborating a number of 2017 preliminary findings on the effects of space travel on the human body. Well, investigators found about 93% of astronaut Scott Kelly's genes returned to normal after spending a year at the International Space Station. But the other 7% remained changed even after Kelly returned to Earth, signaling space travel can have long-term changes on a person's body. Now, the findings are part of the twin study twins, as in he and his twin brother, that seeks to explore the physical and physiological effects of space travel. The experiment involved a number of tests on Scott Kelly and his brother, Mark Kelly, while Scott was in space and Mark was, well, here on Earth. NASA found space flight affects gene expression through oxygen deprivation, stress, increased inflammation and changes in nutrition or nutrients. Those stresses contribute to the existence of hundreds of space genes, claims uh, Cornell University researcher Chris Mason. The genes, he said, remain disrupted after Scott Kelly's return. Well, the altered genes are related to Scott Kelly's immune system, DNA repair, and bone formation networks, among other bodily functions. Other than his DNA, the study found most of the biological changes Scott Kelly experienced in space returned to normal after just hours or days on Earth, although some took months. Well, NASA's said the twins test uh, helps examine space travel's risks to humans. Among some of the other findings, Scott's telomeres on the ends of his chromosomes uh, in his white blood cells lengthened while in space. Researchers said that could be attributed to increased exercise and his reduced caloric intake during flight. The telomeres uh, shortened when he returned. Telomeres typically decrease in length as a person ages. His cognitive abilities in speed and accuracy slowed just slightly after the mission, possibly due to re-exposure and adjustment to Earth's gravity uh, and his busy schedule after returning to Earth. So it's really significant and interesting to consider the impact that being in space for a period of time has on the physical body. So this is very useful, and the fact that he's a twin uh, makes it a a bit more fascinating. I thought that was really interesting, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, By the way, organizations involved in the twin study include Stanford University, Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, the University of Pennsylvania, Perlman School of Medicine, and the University of California. His year in space is an important stepping stone for the longer missions required to reach Mars. Uh, The space agency's goal is to send a manned mission into low orbit around the red planet in the 2030s. Now, I wonder, will I still be here in the 2030s? And maybe the larger question, will we all still be here? However, the epic round 
round-trip journey could take two and a half years, and scientists are keen to weigh the potential impact of long-term missions on astronauts' bodies and minds. Exposure to radiation will also pose a risk to astronauts on Mars mission, uh, assuming there uh, will be astronauts on their way to Mars. The first American to spend 12 consecutive months in orbit. Kelly spent a total of 520 days in space during his NASA career. He retired from the space agency in 2016. Well, I know I certainly would have after all that uh, all that time. Well, the man who uh, tapped in and out of a Sydney train system with just his hand claims the law has fallen woefully behind technology. That is, by the way, his defense. A self-declared cyborg has been fined after he was unable to produce his travel card on request because it had been implanted in his hand. The 34-year-old man, whose legal name is Meow Ludo Disco Gamma Meow Meow. Oh, yes, you heard me correctly. (laughs) Meow Ludo Disco Gamma Meow Meow. Had the chip from the card inserted under his skin by a piercing expert, In 2017, the NFC chip was taken from an Opal travel card used to get around Sydney and similar to a London's Oyster card. He had it coated with a biocompatible plastic before it was implanted. However, when traveling in the... uh on the Sydney train system, Mr. Meow Meow, we'll abbreviate, was unable to produce the card for a ticket inspector who reportedly said, wow, that's crazy, when he showed him, rather showed her the implant. Although the inspector's card reader confirmed Mr. Meow Meow had uh, tapped in before boarding, he was convic- uh, convicted rather of attempting to travel without a ticket. So apparently you have to have the paper ticket and proof that um, you've already purchased one somehow is not sufficient. Well, the cyborg pleaded guilty to being unable to produce his Opal card and was fined 220, I'm not sure what their unit of currency is, pounds, dollars, in order to pay $1,000 pounds uh, costs as well. Well, Mr. Meow Meow took the, uh, told the media, rather, that he was disappointed to find uh, to be fined and intended to explore other ways in which he could use an implanted chip to tap in and out of transport network. New technology can be scary if you don't understand it, he said. But the truth is, new technology can be scary if you do understand it. Just saying. A Rhode Island lawmaker who introduced a bill that would ban outhouses in the state says he is withdrawing the legislation. Now, one wonders what compelled him to produce legislation that would outlaw outhouses. Well, Republican Representative Justin Price said earlier this week he's pulling the measure ahead of a scheduled state house hearing. He says the issue should be addressed by local municipalities and not the state. The bill would have required any outhouse existing as of January 1st, 2019, to be abandoned, filled in and destroyed within one year. Apparently, he's had a run in with an outhouse. Uh, Price previously said the bill was inspired by a dispute between Warwick's residents and their former neighbor who lived within sniffing distance of the family's outhouse. (laughs) Those who refused to comply could have faced up to a thousand dollar fine. But apparently the bill will not move forward. And uh, that family is going to have to wait for uh, an answer elsewhere. Again, he said that the uh, legislation should have been handled not at the state level, but at uh, the local uh, level. So. You can keep your outhouse there in Rhode Island for a little while longer. Well, a um, a man by the name of Constantin Rilieu, he learned in January that, sadly, he was deceased. Can we observe just a moment of silence? A moment of silence. After more than 20 years of working as a cook in Turkey, the 63-year-old returned home to Romania to discover that his wife had had him officially registered as dead. 
Apparently, they didn't communicate during that 20 years. Uh, He has since been living a legalistic nightmare of trying to prove to authorities that he is, in fact, alive. He faced a major setback earlier this week when a court in the northeastern city of Vaslu refused to overturn his death certificate because his request was filed too late. So apparently if you're declared dead and you reappear, you better do it sooner rather than later. Of course, you don't know that you've been declared dead, so that may not be possible. But anyway, the decision the court said is final. He is legally and officially dead. Really, you told the Associated Press that I am a living ghost. He spoke by phone in an interview on Friday from his home in Barled, northeastern Romania. I am officially dead, although I'm alive, he said. I have no income, and because I am listed as dead, I can't do anything. Well, that'll teach you to walk out on your wife and not communicate with her and let her know where you are and what you're doing. Uh, During the interview, Riliu was deeply emotional, starting off by saying, I think I am uh, going to cry and going on to voice rage and a desire for revenge against his wife, who now lives in Italy. Well, he really can't blame her. She did what any person perhaps logically would have done. I'm not sure whether I am divorced or not, he said. I'm not sure whether she is married to someone else or not. Nobody will tell me. So he is literally in legal limbo and deceased. Really, um, he explained that his first, uh, that rather he first went to work in Turkey in 1992, returned in 1995 to the first big shock of his marriage, his wife's Well, infidelity. In 1999, he decided to return to Turkey for good. The AP wasn't able to locate his wife to hear her side of the story. Last December, Turkish authorities detained him over expired papers and in January deported him to Romania, Mm. where he is legally deceased. Upon landing in Bucharest airport, he was uh, informed by the border officials that he had been officially declared dead and underwent six hours of questioning (laughs) and tests. Uh, They measured the distance between his eyes to see if it corresponded to an old passport photograph. They asked him questions about his hometown, such as where the town hall was. They checked his fingerprints. They decided that it was me, he said. But authorities at Barlid were less convinced. He spent weeks trying to persuade them to issue him papers so that he officially existed, he said. When that failed, he asked them to overturn the ruling on his death certificate issued in 2016, which also ended in failure Thursday on procedural grounds. Well, really, you said he would like to file a fresh lawsuit, but has no money and suffers from diabetes, which makes everything more difficult. He also said he's been banned for life from returning to Turkey, but would like to write to Turkish President Recep Erdogan to appeal that decision. Oh, can you what imagine? A what a nightmare. Wow. Well, I'm sure there's a moral to that story. I'm just not really sure what it is. <laughs> Federal officials have discovered a North Carolina veteran isn't dead yet. Uh, The Fayetteville Observer reported that 81-year-old Charles Covell of Fayetteville was surprised to learn that he had been declared dead by the Veterans Affairs Department last month. Covell's wife realized something was wrong when a monthly disabilities payment wasn't deposited in their account. They learned a death certificate for a Charles Covell was filed in January. Well, Covell spent 12 years in the Army, serving in the 82nd Airborne Division and the 5th Special Forces Group at Fort Bragg. He earned his... Uh, pay. A spokeswoman for the U.S. Representative Richard Hudson's office said Tuesday the VA has said the mistake had been corrected. A VA spokesman said the department has an accuracy rate of 99.8% um, uh, by uh, halting payments to those who die. So at least they were 
willing to acknowledge that he is, in fact, 81-year-old Charles, Charles Covell. They were willing to acknowledge their mistake to um, reissue the check and reinstate him into the program. So thankfully, he will not um, experience the same set of events that Mr. Rilieu, uh did in Romania. 30 minutes after 5 o'clock, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 36 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton, he's hanging out as well. Well, police say a 19-year-old Indiana man took a cab to and from a bank robbery and that he paid the driver with some of his stolen cash. <laughs> oh, my. Maybe he was trying to raise funds to purchase a vehicle so that his life of crime could continue without involving Crime others. doesn't pay because the criminals aren't too bright. Yeah, apparently not. Well, this particular individual, whose first name is Derek, was arrested less than an hour after the bank robbery on Thursday at Fifth Third Bank Branch in Evansville. The Evansville Courier and Press reports that the um, thief reportedly passed a teller a note demanding money, but that he didn't show a weapon. He uh, is being held at um, county jail on preliminary charges. Court records show that he'd uh, been formally uh, charged as of Friday morning. that you don't really want to take a cab. First of all, you don't want to rob a bank, but taking a cab isn't going to be very... Anyway. I suppose that the uh, the cabbie didn't really get paid then, did he? Is no, he got he... paid out of the uh, Right, but the wouldn't winnings. the police confiscate that? Oh, that's, that's a good point, yeah. probably. <laughs> My. Nobody turned out... Nobody no. turned out well there. As you mentioned uh, first, crime doesn't pay yeah. in so many ways. Hobbits... Meet Amazon. Have you heard about this? No. The famed creatures of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings will be featured in a TV series. Amazon announced a multi-season production commitment. Oh, wow. uh, this was back in um, November of last year. I'll bring you up to date in a moment. But the Amazon Prime video adaptation will focus on new stories in a prequel to The Fellowship of the Ring, which always scares me a little bit. They they covered it pretty good. <laughs> I'm not sure you want to try to create um, Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring uh, decades later. Anyway, the first of the three fantasy novels in Tolkien's Beloved Rings series. The deal also includes a potential spin-off series at Amazon. The project comes with a turnover in Amazon's top programming ranks in the wake of a harassment scandal. And as Amazon chief Jeff uh, Bezos, he urged the division to find its own version of Game of Thrones. So let's hope uh, Lord of the Rings doesn't end up being Game of Thrones with Hobbits. Anyway, Peter Jackson made three blockbuster films based on the Rings novels with the third uh, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, uh, 11 Oscars, including the one for Best Picture. So it was was a blockbuster, and I can see why they'd want to try to uh, capture some of that popularity. The Lord of the Rings uh, is a cultural phenomenon. It's captured the imagination of generations of uh, fans through um, literature and the big screen uh, the scripted uh, series, uh, Chief Sharon Tao, last name difficult to pronounce, Y-G-U-A-Uguado, uh, said in a statement, we are thrilled to be taking the Lord of the Rings fans on a new epic journey in Middle Earth. Well, let's hope they try to at least uh, reflect the original. Well, nobody's ever said original programming was cheap, but an internal Amazon document shows just how expensive it can be to the tune of $500 million for the Mm. new prequel series. And this is uh, a story from today. Amazon said in November it plans to create the multi-season prequel based on the beloved book series and blockbuster movies. uh, Insiders put the cost at about $250 million at the time. 
Well, it's double that thus far. Now comes word from the leaked document obtained by Reuters that Amazon could spend $250 million on production and marketing for the series, bringing the total to $500 million. That's a lot more than the uh, estimated $280 million all three movies in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy cost to make before advertising, according to Box Office Mojo. Well, Amazon's reasoning for creating its original TV series has been that they bring in new viewers who must uh, first sign up for the uh, $99 a year Prime membership, and those Prime members go on to do other things. Well, the numbers come from company documents obtained by Reuters, and they reveal that the U.S. audience for all video programming on Prime was about 26 million customers. So uh, they're really hoping this is going to be a big uh, draw for them. And it's not quite clear when this is expected to uh, to be made available. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm not seeing here when they say this is going to be on Amazon Prime, but at some point, I would assume in the not too distant future, since they've already spent $250 million on production and are in the process of planning to spend another 250 for promotion. It's been a long process, but slowly but surely, Amazon is taking over the world. Yeah, it just it just just might. about everything that we do. I'm just hoping they'll take back that umbrella. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you want me to sign up for Prime? Take back the umbrella. Maybe the uh, phone case. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, no word here as to when this is supposed to be made available, but I'm very curious to see um, how well done it is and how um, how well they try to stick to the story that has been beloved for such a long period of time. And we'll just have to wait and see. Driverless shuttles, forest canopy walkways, food carts, new pedestrian plazas. They could all be coming to one of the biggest attractions right here in Portland. I'm referring, of course, to Washington Park. Hmm. Now, most people go for the view, the Rose Garden. It's a fun place to be, and there are events that take place there periodically. But they're now talking about a three-phase restructuring of Washington Park. The Portland City Council unanimously approved a $94 million, 15-year master plan for Washington Park. Uh, on a Thursday, specifically aimed at improving transportation, parking, maintenance issues, potentially adding dozens of new features that could drastically change the visitor experience. Now, this is going to take place over a long period of time, and many of the plans are not uh, completely uh, outlined, but they do say that the first phase is going to be upgrading what's already there. Some 3 million people already visit Washington Park annually, according to the Portland Parks and Recreation Department, drawn from, uh, drawn rather by a bevy of attractions within its boundaries. The International Rose Test Garden, beautiful. The Portland Japanese Garden, extraordinary. Hoyt Arboretum, the Oregon Zoo, Portland Children's Museum, the World Forestry Center. It is a lovely place to hang out in Portland. And while Washington Park is already considered a world-class destination, city officials are looking to improve the visitor experience by decentralizing parking spaces and uh, tying together the disparate uh, parts of the park with paved trails as well as hubs, uh, which would centralize services and access points throughout the park. I'm not really sure what that means. I just know it's going to cost a lot of money and take a long time. The Parks Department is quick to note that the new master plan is not set in stone, aside from finding uh, much-needed sources for funding. That's always the issue. The department will need to further gauge public interest and complete a transportation management plan that will ultimately guide any changes. It's just important to know that this is a blueprint, not a promise, a park spokesman said. It doesn't mean that all of these projects are going to happen in the future or at all. Finally, honest government. We're going to, you know, this is just uh, a plan where this is what we're hoping for, but we're not promising anything. 
Now, my uh, my next question would be, are you collecting money uh, up front and what's the plan there? But I want you to promise me 15 years from now, I'll probably be using a walker, maybe a, a, a wheelchair or something. Will you take me to Washington Park so I can see where my tax dollars uh, went to work? I'll get you up there. All right. Will you bring me back down? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, the temptation to just take me and leave me there might be overwhelming. What a mean thing to do. Yeah, it would be pretty mean. Yeah. What kind of but a you person might have do you a, think I well, am? Well, but you might have a flashback of something I said or did over our years Even of working so, together. Even <laughs> so, I wouldn't leave a nice and, little old lady with a walker stuck up at Washington Park. <laughs> That's where you leave me at the bus stop. <laughs> Thank you, Clark. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> your your faith in me is really kind of disappointing. Well, your your response, I'm I'm heartened by that. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Washington Park is a beautiful. It is. I haven't been there in to, years, though. Yeah. Well, you need to take your daughter up there. Yeah. It's it's really a beautiful place, and of course, the zoo and so many other things are there. Been as up well. there a bunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just can't beat it in the summertime when the roses are in yeah. full bloom. Oh, I'm always so inspired. Uh, seeing all the variety of roses and how beautifully they're maintained and the the variety and all of that. And I go home to my yard and just kind of, eh, maybe next year. Yeah. Before I get to to the walker, I'd like to have some of those roses blooming in my backyard. Anyway, uh, let's see. We've got to, we've got to take a break here in just a moment. Uh, when we come back, we want to tell you a little bit of what's coming up um, next week on the program. Uh, in addition to some of the guests that we're scheduling, we're going to continue talking about some of the private Christian schools in our area that are offering some tuition discounts. So um, we'll be providing you with opportunities to learn more about some of the educators and uh, Christian schools that um, are really making a, a grand contribution to our community and certainly to the church. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, yesterday I received an email from one of our coworkers, Mike Lee, uh, who is the uh, director of local ministries here at KPDQ and our sister stations. And it simply read, hi, all iconic radio host Don Klein has just graduated into glory, passing away sometime around Tuesday night. He founded Frontier Missions and then First Nations Ministries, answering the Lord's call for him to serve the Native American community. Well, I was um, I guess I wasn't altogether surprised, but I was saddened to know that our brother is no longer with us on earth, at the same time rejoicing that he is uh, with the one he served so well for so many years. From the uh, First Nations website, they give a bit of history of that ministry, and you might not know Don Klein by name, you may know the radio program by its name, but you'll certainly know, hello neighbor, which is how every program began. Well, over 46 years ago, Don Klein was gifted with a moose hunt in British Columbia, Canada. And since he believed in resting on Sunday, taking a Sabbath rest, he told the other hunters who were with him that he was going to stay in camp that day. They laughed and said, we wondered what you would uh, what you would do. So Don suggested that they hold a service and they agreed. Well, there were uh, Native Americans present who were guides on that hunt. And after the service, one tall, muscular Native man grabbed Don Klein in a bear hug and said, why don't you help us? We understand how you talk. It's 100 miles to the nearest church and all we have are horses. Uh, who will tell our children? Well, late that night, Don Klein, we're told, couldn't sleep. The night was clear, the moon was bright, and as he walked the perimeter of the camp, he was fussing at God. Why don't you help these people, he asked, and the Lord spoke to him in his heart, to his heart, and said, 
Why don't you help these people? Well, out of that experience, Frontier Missions was born and continues today under the name of First Nations Ministries. Well, first, uh, the Native American population is the most neglected segment of our society. They struggle with high percentage of alcoholism, of drug abuse, physical and sexual abuse, suicide, diabetes, early death, thousands of pounds of food, clothing, household items, health and beauty aids, furniture, Bibles, vehicles, Christmas presents are all uh, brought to the community through the ministry of First Nations. And they've uh, they've hauled them all across the country from Alaska to Mexico, Oregon to Pennsylvania, again, by the ministry, because, as Don Klein would say, you can't talk to people about the bread of heaven when their bellies are hungry for a piece of bread. Well, the ministry isn't associated with any single denomination, but works with many. So the sole support of is uh, donations from teammates, as Don Klein used to refer to them, who want to be a part of uh, reaching Native Americans for Jesus. Now, Don Klein has passed away, but his ministry continues and the needs on those reservations continues as well. Again, returning to the notice I received yesterday, iconic radio host Don Klein has been graduated into glory, passing away sometime around Tuesday night. Don founded Frontier Missions and then First Nation Ministries, answering the Lord's call for him to serve the Native American community. For quite a while, he has battled dementia and daughter Deborah has served him as a live-in hospice caregiver. It has been a rough season as Don had forgotten who his daughter is His radio ministries have been a, a staple on our Christian teaching talk station for decades. Well, longtime radio producer Roger Smith reports that the family wishes to hold a small graveside service, so there's not an opportunity for us to join them in that. But you can go to their website for First Nations, First Nation Ministries and leave a note um, if you would, uh, would care to let them know how much you appreciated his, uh, his ministry. Uh, while we grieve his loss here on earth, we celebrate his arrival in heaven, where it, won't, uh, it wouldn't surprise me, wrote uh, my friend Mike Lee, if he were greeted with some of, some of his signature bellowing radio greetings. Hello there, neighbor, as we are so accustomed to hearing uh, him say again, Don Klein has gone home to be with the Lord. He fought the good fight. He served well. And now he has entered into his reward. Again, the program, my understanding is the program will continue at least for some time to come. Taking a look at the program here for the next week, uh, on Monday, we're going to talk with a representative from American Heritage Girls. Now, this week, we talked with uh, Mr. Hancock with Trail Life USA. He's the CEO of that organization that is similar to, in the best ways, uh, Boy Scouts of America as it traditionally functioned, but uh, has uh, deviated somewhat and is, uh, has as its core values a Christian worldview. American Heritage Girl is the, the girl version of that same uh, outreach group, and we're going to talk with a representative from them on Monday. We haven't quite settled on the time, so I'm not sure the details or who we're we're speaking with, but we are working on that. And then on Tuesday, we'll talk with Christine Hoover, who is the author of Searching for Spring, How God Makes All All Things Beautiful in Time. And this is such a lovely time of year as we watch the transition from what wasn't too harsh a winter for us, but uh, winter into spring, and we're seeing things begin to sprout in the newness and rebirth of things that um, had uh, retreated into the ground. And so we're going to talk about how that same principle can apply to us as God makes all things beautiful in time in and through us. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Colin Smith. The book is Heaven So Near, So Far, the story of Judas Iscariot. And we're familiar with the role he played in the final days of the life of Jesus. And we're going to take a closer look as we anticipate uh, commemorating and then celebrating uh, the passion of the Christ. We're talking about his his crucifixion, 
his resurrection. So we'll talk with uh, Colin Smith about his book, Heaven So Near So Far, the story of Judas Iscariot. And it really is a cautionary tale, not to suggest that it's not a true and historic event, but a cautionary tale for those of us who are on the fringes of faith, uh, but are not, um, haven't bought in, if you will. On Thursday, we'll talk with Jonathan Bach, who is the co-author of The Way Back, How Christians uh, Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. Uh, it's an interesting book. It generalizes, I would suggest perhaps overgeneralizes a bit on the Christian community, but we'll give, them an, give him an opportunity to talk about how he and his co-author suggest that uh, there needs to be a, a way back and that the uh, credibility of, of Christianity has been blown in this country and how, uh, if, uh, if in fact it has, uh, we can get, find the way back. So I'm looking forward to a conversation with them on Thursday and then on Friday We'll do what we did today and take a look at the lighter side of the news. Certainly a lot going on uh, right about now, and we'll uh, bring you up to date on Monday of some of the developments that happened as as late as today. Uh, But it is uh, a bit refreshing to step away from that for just at least a a short uh, period of time. All right. um, St. Patrick's Day is tomorrow. I want to remind you of that. And of course, Holy Week is approaching and we're looking forward to spending some time in our following week focusing on the events. And as I uh, mentioned a few moments ago, the passion of the Christ. So um, I I don't know about you, but I've uh, incorporated Maundy Thursday into my celebration week, my commemoration week. And so we'll spend some time on that. And uh, I'm looking forward to this uh, this year having an opportunity to actually participate in a Maundy Thursday service. Um, this will be the first time I think I've had that opportunity to be a participant. I've been at a service, but never um, participated in that way. So I'm looking forward to that. And then, of course, Holy Friday with a Good Friday breakfast that is uh, coming up at the convention center. A great speaker um, who has had to exercise uh, forgiveness and apply a Christian worldview to uh, a very tragic situation in which her grandfather and members of his church were brutally killed uh, by someone they had welcomed into their fellowship for a Bible study. And you probably recall the details, but this young woman has led not only her family, but a community of believers who responded to the shooter in a way that was, at least from the cultural perspective, rather surprising. And she has used the platform that that surprising response of forgiveness and grace has given her a platform in which she has encouraged others to extend the same uh, the same thing. So we're going to have the opportunity to hear her speak at the Good Friday Breakfast that's coming up next Friday at the convention center. Is that right? Or two Fridays? It's two Fridays. I'm, I'm saying next, but I mean the Friday after next. So I want to uh, remind you of that. Also, we're continuing. And next week on the program, we'll be focusing on a number of local Christian schools. Uh, we have a school tuition discount program going on right now. And there are a number of local schools participating. Let me encourage you to go to the website, listenersavings.com, to find out if the school you're interested in is offering a, a discount. We have some that are up to 40 percent. So do uh, do check that out. Uh, Christian education might be more possible for you with that discount than you thought. So KPDQ listeners are saving up to 40% on those uh, school tuitions. Uh, We're talking about, uh, but not limited to, Cornerstone Christian Academy, Valor Christian School, North Clackamas Christian School, Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School, Holy Cross Catholic School, Guardi Christian School, Grace Lutheran School, and others. And we'll continue interviewing uh, some of the principals or headmasters or teachers from uh, some of these schools to let you know a little bit more about who they are, what they do, and how you might connect.
Well, I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blind for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.